Hello, listeners. As an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks. They'll come down this time to about 13 miles. It looks like their orbit is now 13 and a half, perhaps, miles over that landing site uh, about midpoint in the moon as we look at it right on the equator. Uh, Then they will separate uh, from the descent stage of their lunar module and begin the tricky maneuver of climbing back to 69 mile altitude and rejoining the command module. That uh, separation involves this. They fire first time from the uh, descent stage, and down there, just 11 miles from the moon, they will fire off, leaving this descent stage behind, and uh, with their engine with the ascent stage, come back to 69-mile altitude and rejoin the command module. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Anison. You're listening to episode 196 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 10. Lunar Module Out of Control The previous episode ended with the ascent stage of the lunar module tumbling out of control just after the descent stage separation. I want to back up just about 37 minutes in mission time and provide more details as to what happened. But first, there was a strange occurrence at T plus 102 hours and 13 minutes. A whistling sound was heard in both the command module and the lunar module. Young was in the command module in contact with Cernan and Stafford in the lunar module. Now I'm going to read the transcript of the conversation and then I will play the clip of it to make it easier to understand. Cernan That music even sounds outer spacey, doesn't it? You hear that? That whistling sound? Stafford. Yes. Cernan. Young. Did you hear that whistling sound too? Cernan. Yeah, sounds like, you know, outer space type music. Young. I wonder what it is. Young. Yes, I got it too. I was going to see who was outside. Now, I want to play the unedited clip of what I just read. Young in the command module is really hard to hear. You want some more brownies? Now. Push through the little hunger. That music even sounds outer spacey, doesn't it? You hear that? That whistling sound? Sounds like, uh, you know, outer space type music. Hey, Tom, is your is your insulation all burned off here on the front side of your window over here? Right? Yeah. Mine's all burned off. Heading out here, Weary John?
we might get thirsty in the future, so you know, someone will fix us some grape juice. Okay? As you can hear, the astronauts were not alarmed about the sound. They just continued talking about other routine things. About four minutes later, the conversation returned to the weird sound. I have the transcript here, and it is Cernan saying, Boy, that sure is weird music. Young, we're going to have to find out about that. Nobody will believe us. Cernan, no, it's a whistling, like an outer space thing. Young, probably due to the VHF ranging, I'd guess. Cernan, yes, I wouldn't believe there's anyone out there. Stafford, it's weird, isn't it? Cernan, isn't that weird? Stafford, I think that's a side lobe. Cernan, is it? Huh. Stafford, yep. Now here's the unedited clip of that conversation. That's one. Boy, that sure is weird music. Now, it's a whistling, you know, like an outer space type thing. Yeah, I wouldn't believe there's anyone out there. Okay, Tom, I'm going to call up P-20. We want to pressurize our apps here. You got your runnable radar breakers all in? Oh, yeah, I'm locked on to it. Okay. Maybe a side load. It's weird. Isn't it weird? At the end of the clip, Stafford mentions that he believes the sound is from a side lobe. In antenna engineering, side lobes are the lobes of the field radiation pattern that are not the main lobe. Let me elaborate further on that. The radiation pattern of most antennas shows a pattern of lobes at various angles or directions where the radiated signal strength reaches a maximum separated by nulls, angles at which the radiated signal strength falls to zero. In a directional antenna in which the objective is to emit the radio waves in one direction, the lobe in that direction has a larger field strength than the others. That is the main lobe. The other lobes are called side lobes. So Stafford and Young believe the sound was attributed to the VHF they were using. NASA also agrees that it was nothing more than interference between the VHF radios on two different vehicles. Apollo 11 astronaut Michael Collins wrote in his book, Carrying the Fire, that NASA technicians warned him about the whistling sound, and Collins admitted that if he were not warned about that sound, it probably would have scared him. Okay, moving past the weird sound, let's skip ahead about a half an hour 
to T plus 102 hours 44 minutes. There were two key maneuvers that needed to be accomplished before the lunar module could redock with the command module. The first was called staging with a test of the abort guidance system, also known as AGS or AGS. The abort guidance system was to be tested instead of the descent module primary system, just to see if it would work in the vicinity of the moon. The abort system had two basic control modes, attitude hold and automatic. In automatic, the computer would take over the guidance and start looking for the command module, which was certainly not what the crew wanted to do just then. In correcting for a minor yaw rate gyro disturbance, the pilots had accidentally switched the spacecraft to the automatic mode, and frantic gyrations resulted. It took only three minutes from Cernan's startled profanity to Stafford's report that everything was under control, but those were its sighting minutes. Flight control told the astronauts they had made an error in switching but the system was fine. It was okay to fire the ascent engine. Now, who better to explain what happened than someone who was actually inside the lunar module? I have an audio clip from Fox News interviewing Gene Cernan in 2011. Here's Gene's recollection of what happened during the staging and abort test. When we simulated uh, the staging of two vehicles as if we were on the moon, like Apollo 11 would do. We were supposed to check out a small little box called an abort guidance computer, which I had programmed, which would have effectively taken Neil on Apollo 11. Had the primary system failed, it would have taken him off the moon and guided him into orbit so that he could rendezvous with Mike Collins in in a mothership. And uh, we were going to check it out. I had a program, and there was a switch over here between Tom Stafford and I called a guidance switch. Uh, two positions, that primary guidance and abort guidance. And we'd done this a hundred times in a simulator. This was the plan. This is what we were going to do. And uh, so I went over and I flipped it to abort guidance. And Tom instinctively knew the switch had to be moved. So he reached over, as we often do, pilots often know where the switch is, know it has to be moved, but don't look. He moved it back to where it was. So when we pushed the button to separate the two vehicles, instead of the secondary or board guidance system guiding the spacecraft, uh, the primary system took over, didn't have the vaguest idea where we were. So all of a sudden we tumbled. I, I remember seeing the, the lunar horizon eight times in 15 seconds, just like this. And Tom, God bless him, called upon all his instincts and shut everything down except the manual system and got us stopped and damped. And we didn't know until after we got back, but we had taken enough energy out of our orbit around the moon. Had we gone around a couple, two or three more times, we would have, unfortunately, had we done nothing, we would have decayed back into the lunar surface. That's when, that's when Apollo 10 became X-rated. That's when we were talking to the world on, a, on an open microphone, and I said, Something to the effect of, golly gee whiz, what the heck happened? And what's interesting, when we got home, I get 50 letters from people all over the 
country and say, it was a great mission. You went as proud Americans. I would have, glad to know you put your pants on one leg at a time, just like I do. I would have said much worse. Then a 51st letter said, you made us proud Americans. It was a great flight, but how could you use such language in front of my kids? <laughs> so you can't win. But anyway, we got it. We got it damp. We got everything taken care of. We got the engine fired. We successfully made the rendezvous, uh, which, you know, proves the benefit of having a man on board. It's, there was a lot came of it. I had to make a, an, an, an apology on national television, uh, and I made one of those to all of those who understood. I thank you. To all of you who I offended, I'm sorry. I had no idea what I said until we drove home from the airport, Ellington Air Force Base in Houston, and my wife said, you were pretty salty, weren't you? And I said, what are you talking about? You know what you said? I said, no. And the next day I went in and listened to the tapes. Sure enough, that was me. Back in 1969, shortly after the flight, the Lunar Module crew was asked to describe the events that occurred at staging for the Apollo 10 technical brief. Now I have that brief and I will read a few excerpts. First is from Stafford. Quote, I was in the staging attitude approximately 8 to 10 minutes before the event was to occur on both the orb rate and the inertia ball. In all these major maneuvers, we used the checklist, and I put my finger on each switch and looked at it to verify the position of the switch. I had my hand on the switch, and I could see that the luminescent bar that runs the length of the switch for identification was aligned right with the AGS, and I went through the rest of the switching. That was just one step in a sequence. As we approached staging, we were aligned in the right attitude. We wanted to go ahead and stage the vehicle, so Gene thrusted aft using the reaction control system, and it appeared during the thrusting, the dynamics did not increase any as far as the movement. That the rates did not build up any more than we already had. Even I could see it was getting off in attitude, so we would have plenty of authority in there. So I said, forward. He thrusted forward, and I threw the stage switch. It staged and I'd say we were off of our prescribed attitude about 20 to 30 degrees. The vehicle was still in retrograde attitude, basically, but was about 20 to 30 degrees off. Then immediately it started a rapid roll, and I could see that we were approaching gimbal lock, and I made a big pitch maneuver on the stick, and I started working attitude control switches. It happened very fast, and I could see that some of the pitch took effect. We zipped right by gimbal lock. We got the gimbal lock light on panel 4, but the no attitude light also on panel 4 did not come on, which indicated that we did not course align the platform as will happen with the true gimbal lock. We got the vehicle under control after about... I'd estimate a 360-degree maneuver. 
End quote. Now, this is Cernan. Somewhere between 15 and 5 degrees, I'm not sure how far we went. I was about to see the horizon out the window, and the lunar surface started moving, and I don't know, on the 8-ball, exactly what attitude we realized. We could have maneuvered 30 degrees, or we could have maneuvered 90 degrees. All I know is that it was fairly slow, but positive. Whether we did a 360-degree maneuver is difficult for me to say. End quote. Here's Stafford. Again, during this maneuver, I know that I changed the switch, brought it under control, and finally went to attitude control, direct to stop the maneuver. I remember I went to direct to get it under control, but then I had the whole vehicle stopped. I could see that I was in gimbal lock right away. I pulsed right around to our burning position attitude for the insertion burn and rechecked what was on the inertial ball. I checked what we had on the orbrate ball on panel 2 and could see that we were in good shape. End quote. So, there was some discrepancy between Cernan's recollection in 2011 and the post-flight technical brief taken in 1969. NASA also produced a video of their interpretation of the incident in the 1969 documentary for Apollo 10. Here's the clip. Before the actual rendezvous burns took place, the lunar module's ascent stage would have to be separated from the descent stage. But during the separation, something went wrong. Snoopy began to roll rapidly. Get out of there, babe. And that's that last attitude. Uh, Snoop Houston, we show you close to gamma lock. Yeah, okay, something went wild there on that staging. And we're all set. We didn't lock it. We're going ahead to the automobile. Charlie Brown, uh, Houston, they got hey, staging. Uh, they uh, had a wild uh, gyration, though, but they got it under control. It was an unexpected system malfunction. Stafford and Cernan quickly had it under control. In fact, Tom Stafford and Gene Cernan were never in any kind of danger, but for a few seconds, they didn't know that. For Apollo 11, it would be found and corrected. So, according to the 1969 NASA documentary, the astronauts were never in any trouble. Now, this is in sharp contrast to what Gene Cernan recalled in his interview in 2011. So, I have the final clip, and it is the actual maneuver, so you can decide for yourself if the lunar module was in danger. Okay, I'm calling up. Seven. Go. Okay, there it is. Okay, your TTCA is Okay, that's that way. And then that way, yeah. right? I'll just take a little bit that way. Yep, because uh, we're going to be awful light. Okay. We're going to mag, going to mode control. Okay. Get it out of there, babe. And that's that last attitude. Something's wrong here. Hold it, Gino. Okay. 
Okay, front dead band men here. Hey, any time you want to go. Something's wrong with that yaw rate gyro. Let's go in pings and attitude hold. Okay. Okay, we just have to set the light vehicle. We'll okay. do it this way. Okay. okay, you ready? Okay, hold it. We're in. Okay. Go. Ready? Rust staff. Hold it. Rust staff. Okay, ready? Stay. Okay. Okay, let's, let's make this burn on the axe, babe. We're in trouble. Make, this, make this burn on the axe. Got a good staging. Let's make it on the axe. How are the axe? Are we okay? I think we're okay, Gino. Proceed. You get in a gimbal lock? Yeah, but we got out of it. She didn't, she didn't go, huh? No, let's go. Got stage. Okay, what, what's her? Uh -oh. Did you call Poo? Yep, Poo's up, babe. Okay, what's her attitude for staging? What's her angle? Okay, her angle. You didn't lock, huh? No. Nope. But something's wrong with that jar. Okay, uh, roll is 180 and pitch is 233. Roll is one eight zero and pitch is what? Two three three. You better put my ball on inertial just to check them out, verify them yeah. too. I can't yeah. reach it. So if you can put mine, you can verify it on the eggs. Yeah, okay, something went wild there on that staging. And we're all set. We didn't lock it. We're going ahead to the auto maneuver. What the hell happened? Babe, I don't know. Let's put my eggs in inertial, uh, in inertial, though, to verify that we're at the right attitude, babe. They look the same. Huh? They look the same. Put it, okay, just so it's in inertial. Okay, because in case we have to go to it, that's what we want. Okay, let's go again. Let's get that eggs. Ready? Wait a minute. We gotta hurry. Gotta get this damn thing. Sure the pings is good, huh? Wait yeah. till that thing blinks. Okay, babe. I'm in ag's inertial, Tom? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Roger. Got a lot of time. Seven minutes. Well, I, I don't know what the hell that was, babe. Did you push it? Yeah, it's all set. Okay, ooh, ooh. It, it'll be going here in a second. I just... Go yeah, Roger, Charlie. That was something we've never seen before. It was real good. We went to ag's and... Uh... The computer's yours, Tom. You want to go through P-30 again? No, I went through P-30. Go into P-40. 4-2. So it's 2-32. Beautiful. Beautiful. And uh, let me tell you what happened there real quick as we come around with this insertion burn. Uh, with the attitude dead band, started thrusting out, and the thing just tuck off on us. And I can see we're coming up, and we're coming up to insertion, so I flipped, I got a hold of it and tried to avoid gimbal lock, and guess I did. Looks like we got a good insertion out of it anyway, and, uh, I mean, a good staging out of it, and we're all set to go for insertion here. Okay, Tom, call 
Okay, the computer is yours. Forwards or backwards? Oh, we're going. We're going backwards. Yeah, That's the way we want to go. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> there's the ore brake ball. We're in good shape. <laughs> okay, good. there was a moment there, Tom. <laughs> well, let's worry about it after we make this burn. I want to make sure the axe is up for it. Okay, we're going to auto. And I'm going to let me call. Let me call the DAP again. Okay. Never did go in a ping, so the DAP didn't do it to us. No. Okay, Charlie, we're with you. I think we got all our marbles. After firing the ascent stage, the lander flew what Stafford called a Dutch roll, yawing and pitching and snaking along. When the engine shut down, however, to the crew's surprise, the attitude and flight path to the command module were correct. Coming up in 10 minutes was the second maneuver the lunar module had to perform to get back to the command module. This was the ascent insertion burn. The ascent engine had to fire to change their orbital parameters in order to rendezvous with the command module. Here's the clip. Burn time is 15 seconds, so it's going to go in a hurry. That's the length of time the engine fires, 15 seconds. 20 feet per second, 220.9. 15 seconds, 48. Maybe let's make this one. This is the one that sends them back out away from the moon's surface, back up to the 69-mile altitude where they can rendezvous and dock again with the command seconds. After I'm done, this 15 second burn will increase their speed 141 miles an hour. Both they and the uh, command module Nine, are. 8, 7, 6, 5, 99, 3, 2, 1, burn. Okay, 160 to go. This is a simulation. Yep, 134 to go. Yep, burning. 100 to go. 78 to go. 50 to go. 20 to go. Stand by, Tom. Okay, I'll know them out. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Land that Houston. He got the burn off. We're in good shape. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Congratulations to the study. 20.3. Salutations from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, 
and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode 196 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 10 Lunar Module Out of Control. I want to give a big shout out to all my longtime listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. Make sure you sign up for the email list and connect with me on Twitter and Facebook. You can do all that at the homepage at spacerockethistory.com. Today we salute the Salyut Skylab level donors. There are three so far this year. Salyut Skylab donors give $60 or more during the calendar year. Thank you for your continued support, Salyut Skylab donors. Had a couple afterthoughts this week. What did you think of the spacey whistling sound? Clearly, it was not something the astronauts were prepared for. What did you think? Was it alien music? (laughs) I tend to agree with NASA that it was VHF radio interference, or as Stafford called it, a side lobe. But you form your own opinions on that. The other thing was, the controversial lunar module out of control. Was it, as Cernan described, tumbling out of control with the moon's horizon appearing eight times in 15 seconds? Or was it, as NASA said, the astronauts were in no real danger, they only thought they were? Generally, most sources agree that it was a switch out of position that led to the problem, but there is sharp disagreement on how serious it actually was. I have a link of a NASA video that shows the switch positions as the maneuver progresses. I urge you to look at the video and form your own opinion. It's very good. It's got the audio coming from the astronauts and it shows the video where the switches are. And I will put that link on the web page for this episode so you can Go there and you can click on the link and it takes about eight or nine minutes, I think is what the video lasts. But it is a very good video on what was happening. So make sure you check that one out. I also posted, of course, some pictures and the audio for this episode on the webpage spacerockethistory.com. I was very pleased to receive several donations to support the podcast over the past week. Andrew M. donated at the Vostok level and earned his moon emoji. Nico B. from Germany donated at the Vostok level. Lawrence S. donated at the Sputnik level. Andy M. from Ireland donated at the Apollo level and earned the rocket emoji. Jens H. from Germany donated at the Mercury level and earned the rocket emoji. Christina C. pledged on Patreon at the Mercury level and earned the rocket emoji. David B. pledged on Patreon at the Orion level. Neil C. increased his pledge on Patreon from the Apollo to the Orion level. Steve N. pledged on Patreon at the Orion level and earned the rocket emoji. And Mike E. pledged on Patreon at the Vostok level. So that brings us up to 95 Patreons with a goal of reaching 150. And the overall total of donors for this year is 114 with a goal of reaching 300 donors. Please keep in mind the Space Rocket History Podcast is entirely listener-supported. I depend upon your financial support to keep the podcast going. If you are enjoying the podcast and can't afford to help, 
please do so. You don't have to donate much. You can make a one-time $10 donation at the Vostok level or sign up with Patreon for $1 per month, sort of like a voluntary subscription. To do that, just go to the homepage and click on the orange Donate button. All donors are rewarded with their name on the donors page on the website, spacerockethistory.com, based on their donation level. I want to encourage everyone to share the podcast. Feel free to link the homepage or a particular episode on all social media. And we will recognize all the retweeters at the end of February. This is the end of content for this episode. You are welcome to stay and listen to my random off-topic thoughts if you want. (laughs) Thanks for sticking around, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. We will continue with Apollo 10 next week. In podcast news... I wanted to give you the statistics for the downloads for countries 11 through 20 for the month of January 2017. So that's the countries 11 through 20. I gave you 1, 2 through 10 last week. Number 11, Brazil. Number 12, New Zealand. 13, Austria. 14, Denmark. 15, Spain. 16, Japan. 17, Belgium. 18, Mexico. 19, Norway. And 20, Vietnam. I want to give a big shout out to all my listeners in countries 11 through 20. Thanks for listening. In other podcast news, don't forget we're coming up to the 200th episode. Get your tang ready and we will have the tang ceremony on the 200th episode. And you can enjoy it with me, assuming you're not in the car driving. In personal news, I am planning my trip to Florida. Hopefully, I may get to view two launches down at the Cape. According to the website SpaceFlightNow.com, which is a very good website, there is a Falcon 9 launch on February 28th and a United Launch Alliance Delta IV flight on March 8th. And also, SpaceX has two more launches scheduled for March, so it is possible I might could see four launches. But that's pretty optimistic because these launches tend to get scrubbed quite often. But we will hope for the best. Okay, that's all I have for this week. I'll try to get episode 197 up by next Thursday. So long for now.